Good morning, everyone. Um, We've been looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and the history of God's people who were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Today, we come to the conclusion of Hebrews 11. Uh, Please join me in verses 39 and 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Oh, awesome. I am Pastor Jeff, and as Joey said, we are glad to see and have all of you here to worship with us today, especially those of you who are visiting. We hope to get to know you better, and maybe we can connect after worship. Uh, some of you may know, I've, I've shared a little bit of the story. I was incredibly blessed to spend a year of college living, and uh, at least what I told my parents was studying uh, in Paris. Uh, there was a lot more living and enjoying Paris than there was studying, but but ostensibly, I was there for that. So a lot of wonderful memories of uh, being 20, 21 years old. I uh, met a beautiful girl and fell in love. Uh, met my future wife there. Fortunately, they were the same person. <laughs> a few years ago, uh, Amelia and I got to go back to Paris on an anniversary trip, and we were able to take our oldest daughter, Jackie, with us because she was going for a semester abroad program, and we just loved introducing her to this city that uh, had captured our hearts and and all that had amazed and awed us, Uh, the Arc de Triomphe and the Eiffel Tower and uh, the Louvre and the Musée d'Orsay and, of course, Notre Dame Cathedral. Last week, many of us were shocked and dismayed at the images of Notre Dame burning. I think even if you've never been there, Notre Dame grabs our hearts. It's grand, it's glorious, it's beautiful, it's, you know, even if you don't believe in God, even if, you know, all this Jesus story doesn't totally make sense to you, we're still awed at the artistry, at, at the beauty, at the craftsmanship, at the history, at, at this longing for transcendence, for something bigger than us that's expressed in things like Notre Dame. And so when, when we saw that cathedral burning, the spire collapsing in, like millions of people, probably like many of you, I, I, I was just, I was shocked, I was saddened, I was heartsick. It was more than the loss of a building. I mean, maybe you even read some of the things people shared. It it felt like the soul of a city, the soul of a nation had been wounded. It was a loss of centuries of work and craftsmanship, a a loss of connection to people who've gone before us, and, and in some ways even a loss of connection to people who'd come after us. Because if any of our other children end up going to Paris, they won't see the cathedral the way we saw it. It'll be rebuilt, but it, but it will be different. Maybe Notre Dame didn't touch you as much this week, but maybe there's something going on in your life this week, this month, this year. It's been, it's been hard. You've been facing some real challenges. Dreams have died. Maybe your relationship has fallen apart. Financial stresses. And you're just left wondering, is, is this it? 
Is, is there any hope in, in the pain and the loss and the confusion? It feels like the foundations have been shaken. Even in the good times, you know, times with friends and family, celebrations, good food and beautiful music and, and, and awesome majestic sunsets or mountainscapes or whatever it is for you, we're still left longing for something more most of the time, right? We long for something more, for something better, something beyond. I, I know I do, don't you? If you've been here with us over these last few weeks, we've been going through this book of Hebrews and this chapter 11 over the series of Lent, and, and we've seen recently this shift from sort of the, you know, what we shorthandedly call the Faith Hall of Fame, all these wonderful people who lived by faith, to more a record of God's faithfulness in the last few verses here of chapter 11. And now we come to the conclusion of chapter 11, where the writer, if it wasn't clear already, makes it obvious that it's not about us. It's not about our story. It's not about our faith. It's about what God and what He's doing and who He is in the middle of all of our stories. And all of that comes together in this passage. And in this good news that we're celebrating today of Easter, that Christ has defeated sin and death. And so I want us to see three things out of this passage that bring all this together, that Jesus brings all this together. And the first is this, that Easter, that Jesus' resurrection points us towards a better faith. Easter points us towards a better faith. The heart of this is in the middle of the passage where the writer says God has provided something better. And in the beginning in verse 39, he says, all these, all these people who were commended for their faith did not receive what was promised. So the, all these, the author is pointing back to those people that he's just mentioned. This long list of people who lived and died by faith, and, and even though they lived by faith, they didn't receive what was promised. Now, if you've been paying attention over the last few weeks, one thing that you do is, is actually make us go, wait a minute, time out. That, that's not what we just read, because David didn't receive what was promised. I mean, God came to him, the run of the litter, and said, amazingly, you're going to be king, and God made it happen. God tells Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver my people out of Egypt. And he brings plagues on the Egyptians, and he parts the Red Sea, and he provides manna and water in the wilderness, and he delivers them. And, and God told the people they would conquer kingdoms, defeat enemies, quench the power of fire, and on and on. And they did. The writer even says back in verse 33, they obtained promises. Here's what I think he's getting at. All those victories, all those successes, all those blessings... They were not ultimate. They were only pointing us to the real promise, the real treasure, the real goal. And faith is what gives us that perspective. Faith keeps us humble in the victories and in the success, that there is something better even than what we're experiencing right now. As kids used to say when they lived in Florissant, we're not all that. We're not all that impressive. What we have right now is we're supposed to look beyond it with the eyes of faith to see there's something better. But secondly, at the same time, faith also can look like trials and difficulty and disappointment and suffering. 
Because godly men and women, as we saw and as we know, experience rejection and persecution and financial stress and barren wombs and job losses and empty homes and disease and death. And those are not signs that your faith is weak. Because people who were commended for their faith did not receive what was promised. Faith makes us confident in the difficulty that there is something better. And all of this comes together in Jesus, right? He heals diseases. He drives out demons. He opens the eyes of the blind. He feeds the hungry. He brings people into God's kingdom. He raises the dead. Jesus is able to say to the Father, I thank you that I've completed all the work that you've given me to do. And he hangs on the cross with his arms outstretched and says, it is finished, paid in full. What greater victory is there? But Jesus also experienced hunger and loneliness and rejection and betrayal, mocking, beating, torture, agonizing death. His closest friends all deserted him. Jesus declared that he was bringing the kingdom of God, but we look around to this world and it does not look like God's kingdom of justice and mercy and peace and righteousness out there, right? We see in Jesus' own life reasons for faith in God, for amazing, miraculous success and victory and deliverance, and also faith in God in terrible trials and suffering and disappointment. I have often felt surprised and discouraged at the gap between my belief and my behavior. Thursday night, we had uh, just this wonderfully moving worship service focusing around Jesus' last supper with his disciples and, and his prayer for them. And, and we had the chairs kind of arranged in a semicircle, and, and we did communion in sort of a unique way. We, we uh, shared a, a common loaf of bread that was going through the rows, and each person was passing the bread and the cup to the next person one at a time. And it was this wonderful picture, not just of us having union with Christ, but communion and fellowship with each other. And, and it was moving and, and meaningful, and, and it took longer than I expected. <laughs> And I found myself starting to get anxious over the timing. Don't, don't miss this, okay? Your pastor was sitting there thinking he's just done this great job of encouraging people to, to dwell on and soak in the richness of God's goodness to us as long as we stay on schedule. I was getting impatient with people worshiping. Wow. Wow. My heart can be so messed up. And I had to remind myself, Jeff, you are a mess, but the darkness in you is never deeper than God's grace and forgiveness. You know, like Peter, we confess him as Lord and we promise never to betray him and then we go out an hour or so later and find ourselves denying that we ever knew him and living as if we didn't know him. But then Jesus comes to us just like he did to Peter and reminds us again of his love and his grace and he recommissions us again into his plan to renew the world and shepherd his sheep. Christ has died. 
Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And what that means is that neither your greatest moments nor your deepest failures define you. You are defined by something, by someone much better. And I think most of us tend to live based on our most recent performance review. And I don't mean, you know, every six months or year at our job. I mean the one that I give myself every day. If I look at my successes, I feel good about myself. I have faith in myself. And if I look at my failures, I'm discouraged and, and I end up not having faith in myself. And ultimately, I'm saying I have faith in myself and in my performance. And Easter, Jesus is telling us not to have faith in ourselves at all. Trust in Jesus. Put your faith in what he has done, in his record, in his righteousness, in what the gospel says about you. That is a better faith than how you're performing or how you think you're performing or how other people think you're doing. Because Jesus is alive, we have a better faith. And Easter points us to a better hope. You know, the Germans are rightly blamed for World War II. Uh, I personally blame my German heritage for an excessive love of order and cleanliness. When the house is straightened up and everything's where it should be, I can hear angels sing. The skies are bluer. My heart is at peace. I feel this weight lifted from me so that I can focus on the things that really matter to me. But having a family and keeping the house clean, especially when kids are in the house and especially when they're little, seems a little bit like juggling flaming chainsaws while you're riding a unicycle with ducks nipping at your ankles too. Now Joey could probably do that, but I can't. And Amelia and I over the years have tried different uh, chore charts and disciplines to uh, help the kids and frankly to help us do a better job of cleaning up after ourselves with limited success from both kids and parents. Now don't get me wrong, our, our kids have grown up, they're responsible, uh, it's not like our house is a disaster, it only feels that way to me sometimes because I have this unrealistic hope that the house will always be clean and orderly. And when it does, then life will be good. And then I'll have peace. Sometimes I can even catch myself thinking, you know, without this family, I could really keep the house clean, right? Floors vacuumed, everything where it belongs. But what would I be missing See, a, a wonderful wife that God has given me, children who are a blessing from the Lord. Crumbs and stains are meant to remind me that children have full bellies and God has been faithful to provide. And dirty clothes and shoes are reminders that we've been outside enjoying and experiencing the, the beauty of what God has created. And books lying around the house are signs of learning and growth and a failure to pick up books, but mostly a sign of learning and growth. God is at work in those things, I think, to help me try to see his goodness and his faithfulness and what's really important and where my hope really lies. 
And that's hard because I want a clean home, which is not bad in itself, but my hope isn't in a clean home, at least not mostly. We say that our hope is in the Lord, but if we're honest, I I think deep down we all struggle with the temptation to really find our hope in what we can have here and now, That, that if I just have enough comfort and success and wealth and control, then life will be good. Isn't that really our default position? Because that's the world we live in, right? Because those are the idols that we worship, wealth and success and comfort and control. Because deep down, I think we all believe that if we had those things, then life would be good. And that becomes our hope. You know, what's interesting is even though God promised his people land and children and wealth and security and prosperity, the writer of Hebrews told us earlier in chapter 11, back in verse 10, they were looking not just for a homeland, but a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. In other words, They were looking, their hope was in what was real and lasting and significant that this world could not give them. God has provided something better for us. What is the something better? Well, it's the obvious answer today. It's Jesus, it's his resurrection, it's his life. It's the hope that this life is not the end of the story. Did you see that in verse 40, that that apart from us, they should not be made perfect? In other words, if we put it in the positive, that we together would be made perfect. That is complete, whole, what we ought to be. That one day we will not just be declared righteous in Christ, but we actually will be right and whole and full and really free. That is hope. The Apostle John writes in his first letter, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. What better hope are you living for that you could actually be like the limitless love and grace and glory and truth and beauty and goodness and justice and mercy of God? That gives us hope then that that's what God is at work doing right now in the middle of the disappointments and the frustrations and the messes. That those, in fact, are the things that he is using now to make us like what we will be then. And we live with the hope, the promise that Jesus will complete the work he's begun in us. Jesus is the only one who can give you that hope. Jesus is your only hope. Jesus is the guarantee of that hope. Let that be our hope, a better hope. 
And then thirdly, Easter grows us into a better love. Look at verse 40 again, starting in the end of verse 39. They did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. We kind of skipped past this, or, or, or sort of went past it quickly. Did you notice the unusual direction the writer takes there in, in verse 40? We would expect the writer to say, they didn't receive what was promised since God had prepared something better for them. That's the way things normally work, right? You work hard so that you get a bonus or a vacation. You have to eat your vegetables so that you get dessert. You don't eat your vegetables so that somebody else gets dessert. But that's what the writer is saying. God made all those people of faith wait because he had something better in mind for you, for us. Love has been defined as a willing self-denial for the good of another. What is the good news of the gospel? That Jesus, the sinless Son of God, willingly left the glory of heaven, the worship of saints and angels, the beauty and perfection and the fellowship of the Father and the Spirit's presence out of love because he had something better in mind for you. It's not because Jesus was, you know, bored of perfection and glory in heaven and he said, like, you know, I'm going to go slum it on earth for a while. I've heard it's pretty bad down there. No. Jesus comes out of love to live the perfect sinless life that we ought to live but don't. To die to take the penalty that our sins deserve in our place. And he rises from the dead to offer entry into his family, into his kingdom, to all who will come. Jesus gave himself at great cost to save and to serve others. That's love. And we are the inheritors, the beneficiaries of God's gracious concern and saving work. And now there are others for whom we are waiting whom we go out to bring into that circle of God's love, just like somebody did for us. Because none of us were born Christians. Somebody brought the good news of Jesus to us and showed us his word and showed us his love and brought us in. Our daughter got married uh, about a month ago. That uh, older daughter, Jackie, I mentioned, it was, uh, wow, First one married, and uh, for us, an amazing culmination, uh, a wonderful celebration of 24 years of prayer and hope and ups and downs and dreams, and, and what a blessing that was to share that with dozens and dozens and dozens of people who have been through that journey with us over the last couple of decades. And Jackie and Nate were married here in Indy, and uh, we had lived in St. Louis for 19 years before coming here, so we hosted another reception for our St. Louis friends at our old church last weekend, and between Indianapolis and St. Louis, I mean, we just, we wish we could have invited everyone, but of course we couldn't, so we settled for boring the rest of you with pictures and stories instead, over and over again, right? But that's what we do, that, that, 
we want to share news of celebrations and, and birth announcements and graduations and engagements and, and job promotions. And we want other people to experience the same wonder and awe and joy and gratitude and love that we have. You know, we kind of joked around with uh, Jackie and Nate, like, how about if we just take the money that we were to spend on the wedding and we'll just write you a check and you guys go elope and then, you know, then we just don't have months of planning and it's, it's a joke, right? Because what's the point of that? The whole point is that it's a celebration with people that are meaningful to us. It's not a wedding if, if there's not other people around who are part of that community who have helped nurture and care for us and our kids and, and we've been through this together. Do you see that in this story? The women at the tomb, they, they go tell the other disciples and, and the disciples have to tell Thomas about what they've seen and, and the guys on the road to Emmaus go tell other people and, and those disciples launch out of that upper room and they go out into Jerusalem and, and tell this whole crowd of people from every nation that Jesus is alive and he's the Lord and the Savior. It doesn't really become real until we share it with other people. But there's another dimension here too. A apart from us, the writer says in verse 40, they should not be made perfect or complete. Now, that can refer to timing. Of course, when Jesus returns in glory, he's going to raise all his people and we'll all be glorified together. Nobody's sort of jumping ahead. We're all going to be brought into perfection together. But, but I think there's something else going on here, that we are incomplete on our own. That they're not complete without us being part of the story, that, that we're all links in the chain. We're all members of the family, right? That as Amelia and I have been married and, and we've sharpened each other's rough edges and, and smoothed each other down and our kids do that for us and we do that for our kids and we do that in our community group and in our church because I am incomplete in myself. I will not be what God intends me to be on my own. Apart from us, those people who went before us will not be complete because we're part of the culmination of their lives of faith. And that means there are other people out there that God wants to bring into his kingdom that we will not be complete without. That God is sending us out from here to share the story and spread the love and tell the good news and draw into the circle of God's love. It's been said we go faster alone, but we go farther together. We go faster alone, but we go farther together. And as a parent, I can tell you that's definitely true, right? Like, I can do the job a lot faster by myself. But my child won't learn, and I won't learn how to be a good parent unless I take the time to teach them and involve them and, and bring them along with me. And we go farther together. Do you want to go faster or do you want to go farther? I think Jesus... And his word is pretty clearly saying we're meant to go farther together. We need each other to be fully ourselves, to be all that God has made us to be. Let the love of Christ in his resurrection propel you outwards 
to share your life with one another, to draw others in, to grow together, just as somebody else did for you. I long, I long for something better, for a better faith, a better hope, a better love. Don't you? Don't we all? Lauren DeVries last week wrote, wrote about the burning of Notre Dame, or sorry, I'm in Indiana, Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame is still fine as far as we know up in uh, South Bend. No, not South Bend. Where is it? The last? Yes, sorry. I've only been here three and a half years. I'm still learning. Listen to what uh, this writer shared, how grievous and how hopeful that this loss occurs at the opening of Holy Week when the greatest beauty, capital B beauty, the world has ever known was, we thought, destroyed. But at the end of this week is a feast of resurrection. And that means that though we suffer the loss of so many things in this world, we never suffer the loss of beauty himself. And his defeat of death means that all the world will be restored. We are made for something better, for something bigger. We long to live in community, in a grand cause, in serving others, in investing ourselves in something that will outlast us. And, and yes, maybe that's a building, but ultimately that glorious cathedral is only pointing us to the God to whom it was dedicated. Especially at Easter, we see what our hearts long for, something better in Christ with each other that is here but is still to come. Jesus is the end, the fulfillment, the perfection of all those things we were made for. Jesus is the something better. Worship Christ the risen King. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for this day above all days where we remember and celebrate how, how much we need you and your gracious provision of a friend, a Lord, a Savior, a brother to guide us, to change us, to bring the something better that we were made for. Oh God, grow us in faith, in hope, in love around Jesus, who he is and what he has done. That Christ would be our joy, our treasure, our song, our hope. It's in his name we pray. Amen.